One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. At Total Wine & More, we know what pairs perfectly with summer. Go ahead, test us. What goes best with a beach trip? This crisp rosé. A pool party? Try these craft beers. Oh, you're good. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine & More. and there will be no encore there will be snow encore as it turns out because this week we are all scattered to the wind thanks to the government and the big bread conspiracy that has kept us away from each other and away from the heads of studio so this is a bit of an experimental episode we're recording via Skype all three of us separately it might be a complete mess so we're going to do our best so yeah uh, welcome to episode 102 of the No Encore Music Podcast via Skype Colin Morrigan Hi, my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. <laughs> Sorry, I think, no, I, think, there, I, think I think I'm you're on a delay. <laughs> That's going to confuse them. That's definitely going to confuse... It's already confused me, yeah. so I don't really appreciate Apologies, it. Cole, actually, man. you were a different person as well, which is, you know, troubling. Yeah. It seems to have changed your entire personality. It's a full, it's a full identity crisis, really. The snow, <laughs> the snow has confused me hugely. That much more professional voice you're hearing on the other line is Craig Fitzpatrick. Hello, my name is David Hanratty and this is No Encore. You think after 102 episodes you could get my name right and the and my my signature sonic line intro delivery correct? But alas, but no. Well, how uh, how are y'all doing? It's 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 freezing fucking cold. We're recording this on the Wednesday, which is 12 hours or so before the government has ordered that we all stay in our houses for over a day. How are we feeling about the curfew, guys? I'm going to crack open to into a beer right now. So yeah, fight the power, buddy. Fight the power. I've got a bottle. Um, I've got a bottle of Rioja on the go here. Jesus, I've got a green tea. <laughs> the sensible one, Craig, always. Yeah, although I have lit uh, a fragrance candle, so maybe I'll get some kind of buzz going off that. I think we're all banging the so, candles as well here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, got a, I've got a lavender and eucalyptus candle on the go. I've got bergamot and juniper. I've, I've got unscented, to is. be honest. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, well, look, we're doing our best. We're trying our best. Uh, we figured that we probably shouldn't go to the studio tomorrow, but we'll see. Who knows? Anything <laughs> could happen. <laughs> 
In the meantime, though, I uh, would like to make a quick note. Uh, coming up next week on the Headstuff Podcast Network, there's a special one-off podcast as chaired by Headstuff Music Editor Andrea Cleary, a very, very special episode of the Headstuff Podcast where Andrea talks to journalists, musicians, writers, critics, and DJs to have a chat and a bit of a deep dive into the state of the industry as it stands. Now, that sounds a bit like no encore, you might say, but there's a very special distinction with this one. For International Women's Day, Andrea has sat down with a panel, including Maya Sophia, Emma Langford, Zara Hederman, Claire Beck, and Louise Bruton, for a very special podcast focusing on the female aspects of the music industry and beyond. And that will be out on Thursday, the 8th of March, on the Heads of Podcast Network. And we are very, very proud to bring that to you. So, yeah, guys, raise your game as well. We'll do our best, although on the very same day, you, of course, will be busy judging the Choice Music Awards. That's correct. You're on the panel, Dave. You could have told us. Choice Music Prize. What? Not a (laughs) mention of uh, it on any of your socials. Not a mention, not a mention, yeah. I'm I'm taking time out of my busy schedule to do this podcast. I hope you guys appreciate it. Yeah, cheers, cheers, bro. Uh, Nonetheless, it does mean that we are going to need a replacement next week. That's true. And so we have been scouring the market for uh, the ideal man for the job. And uh, you will find out who we settled on uh, next Thursday. Yep, transfer window open. A massive deal has been concluded (laughs) for a one-off guest host. And that guest host will be rocking into the Heads of Studio next week. Look forward to it. very exciting. But as for this week, uh, I went to a gig last week. (laughs) I went to see Dermot Kennedy in the Olympia Theatre. The hottest ticket in town, as it were. I believe tickets were selling on the black market, much like bread is selling on the black market today, for exorbitant prices. Uh, I caught Dermot in the Button Factory on night one of a two-night sold-out stand back in October, I think it was, and it was a very interesting gig. Uh, His star is rising. This guy is big. He's getting bigger uh, with each passing week. He's he's off now on a world tour, which I think is like 46 or 47 Mm sold-out dates across the world. Uh, Taylor Swift has bigged him up. Zane Lowe has bigged him up. He's signed a big record deal. He's Ireland's next big thing, essentially. And it's quite interesting because there are still a lot of people who don't know him, but the people who do know him are totally into this. Like, it was... Like he was getting a lot of people on Twitter kind of coming at him being like, please do a second gig. That Olympia gig sold out in like minutes. So it's been very interesting to kind of watch his rise and watch it from kind of the close quarters. Uh, the gig I thought was very, very good. He plays a short enough set, kind of like an hour long, no encore. Ha! Nice. What, what, what a concept. And yeah, I mean, his songs are really, really good. Like, like he's very good with the old naked expression yeah. and like he kind of really gets to the heart of the matter you can see why he's attracting the following that he is however there was a very interesting aspect on display in the Olympia Theatre that night because he's like as a, as a front man because you know, he has a band with him like he's got three musicians behind him one of whom is uh, Michal Quinn who's the drummer from Melty Brains who might be the best drummer in the country he's fantastic to watch and really kind of gets his stuff in during this kind of singer-songwriter troupe that he's in like, like, he, like he's, he's not dialed down at all which is cool to see but like so Dermot Kennedy doesn't really give a lot away on stage. Like a, a, a lot of it is into the songs. He's poured out his heart in these songs. But every now and then he will kind of say something. And I mean, like as a frontman, like it's not like you're not dealing with the rock here in terms sure. of like crowd call and response situation here. So it's it's very interesting to see what he will give away. But the really interesting thing that kind of occurred was when he's talking and he's actually giving stuff away and he's giving you these unique vulnerable moments that he might not be giving tomorrow night in Nottingham or Stockholm or wherever, the crowd who are there for him, who have spent big money for these tickets and have been lucky enough to get in the door, 
They're talking yeah. over him. Like, like they don't want to hear what he has to say, and I find that absolutely bizarre. It's an incredible, incredibly strange juxtaposition. And um, I spoke to him actually afterwards. I, I spoke to him at the the after party. I was chatting to him. He's a very nice man, and I brought that up. And I was surprised. He was quite candid about it. He was very much kind of saying like. It's definitely a thing, and and it can mean that if he if he's on stage, he might actually just abandon an act altogether and just like concentrate on the songs. So yeah, a, fa- a fascinating kind of thing that's happening around him, and I, I I just find that that divide really really strange because the people who are in that building are fucking into him, and yet they almost don't care about him. It's it, weird. I've seen it happen a few times, strange. and I've seen it happen with uh, acts who are relatively new or acts who people, I guess, don't have a personal bond with so much as with their music. I mean, in many ways, it does come from a good place that people are just, you know, really interested in the music and not necessarily as interested in the stories. Frankly, I'm sure that will change as, you know, his personality grows um, along with, you know, the, the reputation of his tunes. Yeah, he's got a hell of a voice as well. He's an absolute fucking cannon in his throat and really utilizes it to full effect. Um, in the bathroom afterwards, mm, by the way, mm. when I was waiting. When I was oh, going to start like that. <laughs> uh, there was a couple of lads there, and one of them kind of went, Jesus, is a hell of a gig, wasn't it? And it was. But then um, one of them goes, Ed who? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. And then your man goes, and he goes, uh, he goes, that should be the hashtag. Ed who? And I was like, no, lads, it really shouldn't. Yeah. What are you doing? A, 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 that shouldn't be a hashtag. And B, that sounds like the old man leaning against the wall in Austria in terms of, here's a present to finish your review, journalist. Yeah, at least in this case, these people were actually are real. You sure? And I didn't invent them out of thin air. No, they were there. They were there because I like I couldn't come up with gold and that nature. But yes, one to watch very much, Dermot Kennedy. And also, I will New just say... coming soon. Like, Ed Hardcourt isn't that big, so only a few people have got the joke. <laughs> very good, Zing. very good, very good. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad you took the mic there, Craig, because it's time for a very specific segment of No Encore. Yes. Attention, everyone. One, one. Shut up. Craig on Kanye. Yeah, it's Craig on Kanye, Dua Lipa edition. Um, and I've said it before that Swifty justice is no justice whatsoever. So, latest in the news is that Taylor Swift fans have reportedly sent death threats to Dua Lipa after Sigur expressed her love for Kanye West. Now, this was actually something that kind of came out, uh, I think it was last year, there was an old interview, like a video interview with Dua, where it was kind of one of those either-or, like, you know, quick-fire question rounds, and she was asked, you know, Kanye West or Taylor Swift, and she immediately said, Kanye West, of course, because she's a musician, and she's a music fan, and she's a very sensible woman. Um, (laughs) Not biased whatsoever in this regard. But the whole thing was that... It turns out that she's actually a secret kind of Swifty herself. Mm-hmm. Like she was spotted kind of wearing T Swift merch at like um, a rehearsal thing in at a German gig, and it was like the pictures of it went all over the internet. Uh, Taylor Swift at the time saw it, and she was just like, "I'm screeching with joy," which must have sounded yeah, awesome. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Can we stop there yeah. for a second? Like this, this thing, yeah. like this very modernized nonsense of people who take to Twitter and say stuff like I am howling yeah. I am screaming I am screeching as they Shut sit the there quietly up. tapping their phone like yeah it's it's the most obnoxious thing and I know it's probably obnoxious to even complain about it but that's what I'm doing it's my podcast I get to complain about it <laughs> yeah 
Well, you know, she was quite clearly, you know, a Taylor Swift fan on the rise to fame. So she was embraced by the Swifty crew um, until this video interview kind of resurfaced and they attacked her. So she's been talking to Rolling Stone and she's talking about like the kind of uh, this very bizarre scenario that kind of happened. She said, in regards to the hate she received following the admission, I wasn't thinking about their beef as in Taylor Swift and Kanye, I was thinking about their music and Taylor is amazing, but I'm such a hip-hop fan that I would probably choose Kanye over anyone. Um, So the Swifties then took to social media in pure outrage at this response, flooded her Instagram with (laughs) snake emojis because that's what they always do. And Dua said, they were sending me snake emojis for like three days straight. They're like, I hope you die. I'm like, yo, I literally didn't say anything. And she literally didn't. She said Kanye West, and that was enough. Well, who, so who, very bizarre. Yeah. Who thought yeah. that like emotional teenagers with social media accounts could overstep a line, eh? I know, right? I just don't know if we if we can trust Dua Lipa anymore, though. I mean, ever since oh, she yeah. betrayed the faithful by going back to her ex boyfriend. Yeah, absolutely. Like she broke the rules of her own song. Has there been any kickback at Dua for like getting back? Like I haven't noticed anything because she was gathering quite the you know fanatical fan base herself online just because of the huge response to that song. Has there been any kickback since that news? Not broke? really, no. not really. Most people were kind of banging on about how good she looked at the Brit Awards, and they were comparing her to two years ago, and they were like, "Oh wow, look at her now, she's blossoming, she's amazing." And I went down through some of the responses, and even people who were like, uh, "Yo, guys, she completely fucked us all over," they were they were ignored in favor of her wearing a dress. At the Brit Awards, that apparently looked nice. Also, it should be said that like I can remember Dua Lipa from okay, maybe not two years, but like a year and a half, and I, like it's not like she was a munter. <laughs> what a word! What a word! I uh, oh, sorry, I just got a, I, I just got an email by the way from some band asking me if I if I'll feature their song. The song is called "I Want to Shift Your Sister." Uh, I think I think I'm going to hastily put that in the old the old trash file. No, no, so, it might be ironic. Well, but we'll move on. We'll move on to correction corner. Another no encore staple. <laughs> See, even though even though the, the the podcast itself is breaking down with with communication, we are still holding ourselves together with glue and glue in the form of Fifty Cent, aka Curtis Jackson, who was denied that he is a Bitcoin millionaire some weeks after we reported that he was. Now, Craig, I believe you were chairing up this erroneous report. What do you have to say for yourself? I, do you know what? You you kind of you put your fate in TMZ. Um, the journalistic institution that is TMZ and I don't know I've been let down badly by the guys at this point yeah the baby um, formerly known as Leon you know West is disappointed 50, in you <laughs> also by 50 cent this is the second time now that he's pretended to be rich um, whilst he is probably quite wealthy he seems to like really want to amp it up so yeah he's actually had to come out and deny that he's a bitcoin millionaire um, after he kind of he, pretty much said he was i mean he didn't he didn't outright lie but he didn't tell the truth so yeah um this was going back to 2014 uh, when he allowed fans to purchase one of his albums using the cryptocurrency um and tmz picked up on this and they were like they remembered kind of you know how much he'd earned it was 400 grand of bitcoin from the transactions um but obviously he'd kind of forgotten about them the account was dormant and they suggested that because of the spike in the value of Bitcoin, that meant that uh, Curtis Jackson had multiplied his initial stake many times over. Um, so then in January, the rapper quoted the report on Instagram and wrote, Not bad for a kid from the South Side. I'm so proud of me. 
I'm a keep it real. I forgot I did that shit. So <laughs> the album in question, by the way, the album in question is called Animal Ambition. Yeah, Show it the respect it deserves, please. Thank you. Uh, he's also the seminal well. Animal Ambition. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. you'll find that he Craig said, uh, showed it exactly the respect it deserved right there. Thank you. Well, you know, he's gotten all philosophical and he said, so long as a press story is not irreparably damaging to my image or brand, I usually do not feel the need to publicly deny the reporting. (laughs) That is words to live by, I would say. (laughs) Those exact words? This is only... He's not wrong, is he? If this is good for me, I'm going to run with it. Yeah, 100%. I agree. He's like a savvy enough dude. But listen, two years ago, do you remember he was like, he had to tell a judge that all the photos he was fucking putting up of like him with loads of wads of cash was actually just fake money for the publicity as well. (laughs) So he has previous. The problem is because he has this bankruptcy case ongoing, he's a bit like, you know, that kid who's boasting about all the birthday money he got, but then denies it ever happened when his parents threatened to make him pay for shit himself. He's a high-profile advocate of fake it till you make it. But like he's made it. Stop. Yeah. It just and now across the uh, across the news desk now to Cole Morrigan for a story we like to call the Barbara Streisand. This effect. is incredible. Yeah, so uh, she was interviewed for Variety magazine recently, and she had a caption suggestion, which I don't think I've ever had from a journalist. I've had headline suggestions. I don't think I've, anyone's ever suggested a caption to me. But raise your game, I, mate. Hey, I'm, I'm open to them if anyone wants to give me them someday. She had photo taken at her Malibu estate with three dogs, and she wanted it to be called "Send in the Clones," and that is because <laughs> two of her dogs, Miss Violet and Miss Scarlet, were cloned from her 14-year-old dog Samantha, who died last year. Pour one out for Samantha. So, before Samantha died, Streisand had cells taken from her mouth and her stomach, which does not sound pleasant. Is that how Uh, she died? (laughs) Jesus, I don't want to speculate. Streisand says that the dogs in question, the clones in question, have different personalities. Yeah, I bet they fucking do. I'm waiting for them to get older so I can see if they have Samantha's brown eyes and seriousness. Seriousness. There you go. (laughs) Is that how cloning works? Yeah, you judge uh, like like what what their kind of attitude is like in a meeting. It's all in the eyes. <laughs> yeah, clearly, I mean, clearly that's what a humongous kind of like diva is looking for in a pet: seriousness. Yeah, I mean, it's like, a prerequisite. Like she's not even made life easy on herself as well, because obviously she's got two cloned dogs. They look identical, so she's had to dress them in different colors, which is why they're called Violet and Scarlet. <laughs> It's ridiculous. And, and, and then I didn't even realise you could do this. And then the there's way. a third distant cousin. This sounds like a pitch for like a really, really underthought dysfunctional family reality show. Oh, 100%. Barbara Streisand lives with her two clones and her distant cousin. I would I'd watch say that. Netflix, Netflix would probably pick it up. They're fucking screening anything. Oh, yeah. Jane, days, Jane so. Fonda is the, uh, the next door neighbour. They had um they had a quote this week on Netflix where like their head of operations was like, "Hey, look, not everyone gets a film deal." And it was like, <laughs> it seems like they do. Yeah, I've got one. I was very, I was very, very disappointed by Duncan Jones's film guys, the one that oh, won Muse, Netflix last yeah, week. it's getting dreadful reviews. Yeah, it's a disaster of a film. I looked at the trailer and I was like, "Well, this is this seems baffling." 
what is going I liked on the trailer. The tone? I liked the trailer. I thought the trailer was good and it really? had really good music in it. And then the music wasn't in the film and the film was a mess. It was like two films in one and it made every wrong choice it could possibly have made. It has no reason to be set in the future uh, and it just doesn't work. All the characters are horrible. They're awful to hang out with. And one of them in particular has like a deep dark secret which I cannot believe actually made it past the script stage. It's so shoddy and questionable. <laughs> you want the best for Duncan Jones but fuck me. One of the characters in the film has a Bowie knife. Oh. Very good. Oh Ugh. my god. Hey, did you hear Charlie Watts talking about Bowie during the week from the Rolling Stones? No. He was just being a bit of a dick. <laughs> he was like, I was so surprised people cared so much when he died. I never thought he was a great musician. He had a couple of good songs. Really? Like, Charlie Watts. Like, I know you're into jazz and you kind of hate your own band, but... Shop's dead. He does hate his own band. He does hate his own band. Remember, remember Glastonbury a few years ago? He was like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to show up and I hope it's not too windy because it really annoys me on my cymbals when they do that. Yeah, he's, he's, like, he's been phoning it in since 1974. We're going to have a chance the to Stones, see him hating them live. It's like in May, well, isn't it? Well, you might, you might not, though. You might not, though, because I reported on this story during the week. The Croke Park Residents Association... Oh, those boys, yeah. Oh. Have pit uh, have kind of piped up in the media. There, one of them was the chairman was interviewed on RT News during the week, and he said, "Of course, we're going to object to this because the on board Planala have like a quota or limit rather of three gigs a year at yeah. Park now after the Garth Brooks fiasco. Yeah, now there are already three gigs booked. There's two for Taylor Swift and one for Michael Bublé, who, by the way, has Emily Sande in support because it wasn't bland yeah. enough to begin with." <sighs> And now, uh, like, I guess, is it Aiken or MCD? One of them has gone ahead and booked the Stones, uh, subject to license, in May. And there was a meeting on Monday in which the locals got very up in arms and they were like, no, no, we have to protest this because Croke Park are taking the piss out of us. So, yeah, wait and see. It's it's straight back to where we're at. He was asked at one point, though, on the news, they were like, surely in the interim period of three years you could have established better communication with uh, promoters mm. and with Croke Park, perhaps via Skype, I, w- I would imagine. And he was like, well, yeah, that hasn't happened. So, yeah, brilliant. I mean, I take, I take it they're trying to carry over the one they didn't use from last year. If I remember correctly, it was two last year, Coldplay and U2. It's, that can't be how it works, though. You get to carry it over. The, it's not like they, from work. It, it, it is. They're, they're starting to save up to try to bring Garth Brooks back in 2022, mate. <laughs> they're going to put a date okay. away every year. Yeah. Well, if the Stones get bounced out of Croke Park and they find themselves on a festival bill, what kind of festival bill will it be? Because there's a new thing happening in the world, and as the world tries to develop equality and parity, 45 international festivals have pledged to combat gender inequality by implementing a 50-50 split on their respective lineups and their conference panels and pretty much everything else, shop vendors presumably, by... 2022. Do we think it'll happen, guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely think it'll happen. I mean, you just hope that it isn't going to turn into some sort of tokenism where they book some, you know, tiny stage down the back of the campsite and try to pump up the numbers that way. We know that there's all sorts of, you know, tricks used when there's quota systems in, in place. It happens on radio in terms of Irish airplay. It happens in radio in terms of music airplay and rather than talk radio. So yeah, you just, you hope that they're going to sort of take it seriously and I guess do it right. I feel like I feel like organisers wouldn't get away with that kind of thing just from social media at this point. Mm. Like, if it was a thing of, like, we're going to have a tiny little tent on the back and stick on loads of female artists that no one's going to look at, I feel like that would become a big deal. Um, and they'd just be shooting themselves in the foot, maybe, no? 
Yeah, they have to do it right, yeah. for sure. And the initiative is part of a new program from the UK's PRS Foundation. It's called Key Change, which is founded to help women transform the music industry. Uh, I'm looking at the festivals that have joined the pledge, and there's nothing of there's nothing massive yet, no. apart from maybe the BBC Proms. No. That's probably the biggest name on the list. And even then, you know, like... So, yeah, I mean, like, it'll. I think it will require the likes of, you know, Electra Picnic, Coachella, fucking Primavera, whatever. Like, you're going to need the big fucking guys in this one otherwise it's not really going to make a lot of sense and like, don't get me wrong you know, change comes from the ground up and this grassroots thing is very encouraging but I think if it's not taken seriously by the biggest games in town well then that's going to tell its own story yeah I tend to agree with you on that at the same time I suppose you hope that you know if this opens doors for people at a slightly lower rung then um, then they can sort of climb the ladder not to overstretch my own analogy here but you know that they can actually <laughs> stretch use away this. mate yeah, yeah, we're yeah, they can actually use this to, you know, ascend the heights. And um, here we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop now before I fall off. The PRS Foundation CEO, <laughs> Vanessa Reed, said in a press release, our focus on gender equality in 2018 aligns with the centenary for some women being given the vote in the UK. 100 years on, the push for gender parity across society continues, and with increased public awareness of inequalities across the kind of industries, we have an opportunity to respond and commit to tangible change in music. That is true, but what I will say is, I received a press release at the start of this year about Celebrity Big Brother, in which they were like... To celebrate 100 years of the women's suffragette movement, Celebrity Big Brother UK is all women this year. I was like, yeah, what a fucking great tribute, guys. Well done. <laughs> and you know what? It wasn't actually... And then they put actually... a bloke in a few days later. Yeah, they put like, men in. So... Like... <laughs> fucking ridiculous. The minute that left Channel 4, it just became a shoddy production for me. I'm sorry. Because before it rocked. Oh, man, Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's rock our way to this week's album review. And perhaps fittingly, based on the previous story, it's a trio of Irish ladies. It's Wyvern Lingo with their self-titled debut album. This is Out of My Hands. Accuse me of apathy. out of my hands the opener off Wyvern Lingo and I hope I didn't come across as weirdly facetious with that link because I genuinely didn't mean to be it was just you know it was too fucking obvious of a thing to do and you know I've probably somehow managed to get it wrong <laughs> and perhaps offend the listening audience and the wider audience beyond but what can you do I mean well so Wyvern Lingo are a success story in this country I believe they first kind of came to prominence uh, through an association with Hozier but they have very much carved out their own path they specialise in kind of R&B laden harmonies but there's perhaps more to them than that Out of My Hands I think is a really good opener and I think it's the, the right call for the audio that we played in the show uh, just there because I think it's a very interesting song from a songwriting point of view and it comes across at a very interesting time Wyvern Lingo are kind of being held up there as I, I don't want to overstate this and use a word like iconic which is kind of lost all meaning but you do get the sense that this trio from Bray could emerge as uh, icons for 
an awful lot of people in this country because they're very representative of a youth movement at this particular time in Irish history with the repeal of the Eighth Movement uh, kind of gathering an awful lot of traction over the last couple of years and so on and gen- uh, genuine societal issues that people face especially living in like the capital living in Dublin City Out of My Hands tells the story of kind of being out like in, in, in the pub on a night out and basically almost paying lift service and while also kind of like dismissing whether you mean to whether you don't the lesser fortunate and you know kind of like it, it's it's quite explicit with its language you know it, like when it has that line about you know accepting junkies or mm. scum it's obviously a very satirical line there but it's that thing of like you know you find yourself in a pub you know, as as we often do after the podcast but not tonight because we're on Skype uh, when you know green tea can, all the like, way I think everyone finds themselves in that situation like you know whether it's on a night out and Maybe someone comes over to you and asks for money, and your your you know your instinctive reaction is to be like, "I don't have any, man. I'm sorry." And I don't think that necessarily makes you a monster of a human being, but there is that element of like, could we be doing more? Should we be doing more? Are we, you know, not tuning into this kind of societal divide? And I think as long as Out of My Hands does its very best to try and tackle that, while also delivering what is uh, ostensibly a very well written uh-huh. song. So I don't know. I mean, like before we kind of move on to the rest of the album, I do think that that's a good microcosm of it and at the same time have they pulled that off like can they manage to to get all those layers in and still kind of come out the other side what they do you can well, you see yeah one thing that strikes me here and i don't want to go full will mcavoy on you dave but i'm gonna do it anyway please right? do this is not the greatest album in the world but something tells me that it almost could have been Because at various points, and perhaps most notably on Out of My Hands, but at various points on this album, I think there is interesting production. I think there is kind of ambitious lyricism. I think there is strong vocals, to be fair, throughout the record. That, for me, is the album's trump card. There's, you know, decent hooks, the instrumentation, even if it stops short of setting the world alight. You know, it's certainly not letting the side down, put it that way. But... Those elements combining consistently doesn't happen a lot across the 12 tracks. It probably doesn't out of my hands, and I think that's why it's a standout tune. Otherwise, though, it's it's just getting all of those in tandem that causes the biggest issue on this album for me. Yeah, I'm going to have to slightly disagree with you guys here. Um, because, yeah, I thought, like, out of my hands is a very interesting... Um, it's an interesting kind of take on a a subject that is very difficult to broach i think they do it kind of they do a decent job of it i thought it was a strange track to pick as the opener did you guys not because it is kind of satirical but i just thought it's interesting how they kind of kick off the song itself with those three-part kind of glorious harmonies it feels really like they're setting that quite literal tone of this is us this is our sound we've kind of moved away from our folkier roots possibly and embrace the kind of you know 90s r&b that we grew up loving um and here's kind of yeah here is us and then it goes into this kind of uh, it was well, not really them talking it's kind of satirical it's there's a few lines of like oh you know this girl in mulligan's last night accused me of apathy um it's tongue-in-cheek and i just felt like it immediately kind of threw me, and it was like it was a strange introduction to like their debut long player. There is there is an interesting point to be raised about I think the three opening tracks. Basically, it opens with three singles: "Out of My Hands," "I Love You, Sadie," "Maybe It's My Nature." So, a lot of listeners will probably be familiar with those tracks already. Now, when you lead off with singles, when you top load an album like this, 
a drop of some sort is almost inevitable. But when you do it as a as a debut album and and as a new artist for a lot of people, it's almost got the effect of emptying a box of tricks and that from there on things are maybe like spread so thin as to be redundant, kind of wheeled out that there's no excitement or sense of something different anymore. Or that, you know, to keep some sort of continuity or or to keep the motifs that have been set by such such a statement in the opening track that things are sort of crowbarred in later where maybe they don't have any business being. Yeah, I mean, I like I I do like the opening kind of the trio. Uh, I love you, Sadie. I think is far more effective than Out of My Hands, just because. Uh, well, it's a bit more playful. Uh, it's not taking too much on. Um, it's got it just kind of bounces into view, and it's got some really really good hooks in it. Um, maybe it's my nature and crawl boat work for me as well. But come as you say, there is kind of that initial thing of just like here's everything we have to offer, and I think once you kind of hit into dark cloud and like the middle section of this album there are there's a stretch there where the songs become quite sparse there's a lot of kind of nice sounding harmonies that are maybe a bit more kind of style than substance i felt i felt like it was kind of nice vocals in search of a you know a meaty tune um and a meaty lyric um they totally regain form towards the end and i think the kind of the, the kick on from snow um too quite fittingly titled for today's episode and un- <laughs> until t- the finale like they kind of actually get a bit uh grittier and the guitars come more to the fore they up the tempo a bit and they kind of let loose um and i, I think that playful experimental thing suits them far better than trying to do very kind of almost immaculate sounding kind of studied um you know character pieces um that are very indebted to those 90s influences it's kind of when they let loose and it's like okay we've got that stuff out of our system now we can just play at the finale of the album that it really kind of started to work for me and i went because i'd been listening and thinking okay this is fine this is lovely i'm not sure i'm loving it but from say maybe track eight on i was like actually no they've they've totally salvaged it for me and i came out with a strong opinion of the album which i might not have do you not think though that like last week we spoke about Reggie Snow and yeah. we talked about how his album was lacking in storytelling and lacking in genuinely compelling and interesting things that one can relate to as a listener. I think in Out of My Hands and I Love You Sadie you get those. And I know that they have been previous singles and they've kind of been held aloft and maybe you know the moment has passed to a degree and when you get to them on the album you're like cool yeah I mean like I know these very well I can breeze past it. And even like in the position as one and two on the record they do run the risk of front-loading. And I do agree with you that the middle is quite baggy. But I, I think that they've got something here as storytellers, though. I really, really do. Yeah, and I agree yeah. with you on that. I, I, I'm I, not mad about the ending, though, Craig. I have to say, I thought that When I Can, the, the final song just was a bit of a hot mess, to be perfectly honest. Well, well, yeah, When I Can is a bit kind of, it's a bit loose, but the likes of Fear and Subside for me, I thought were like really, really quite strong. You see, I don't know, um, I think they felt, Fear in particular felt like it was kind of trying to inject an anthemic feel into a song that just didn't really have the heft required. And again, I mean, I wonder, you know, and obviously it's easy to say this after the fact, but if you could just seem to line up some of their most ambitious storytelling with some of the more interesting production and some of the better hooks like then you know there's no reason why this wouldn't have been an amazing album because they're clearly capable of ticking each individual box along the way Yeah. yeah and 
I don't know. Like, I don't know if it if, if it ever becomes a box ticking exercise. Ooh. I mean, I was almost fearful of that because at the very very start of the album, out of my hands, the very first thing you hear is a prolonged them kind of syncing up together harmonising and I was like oh fuck really like is it just going to be vocal gymnastics is it just going to be what we can do and I kind of feel that way but maybe it's my nature I know it taps into really good Tony Braxton style stuff and it's reminiscent of that kind of thing but at the same time it, it comes very close to being a bit of Dell as well the only track for me that felt like a, a box ticking exercise was also actually quite well done as a kind of a vocal showcase like you say and I think it's used where they go into full kind of staves territory but even then yeah. even then it's good well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, even though maybe it's my nature, I mean, like, the Adele comparison isn't even just, like, oh, you know, vocally. It's more that, like, I find Adele, as I've said in the podcast before, I find that Adele has an amazing weapon, but just doesn't use it the right way yeah. ever. And on this album, I think Wyvern Lingo have got, like, serious strengths. They're great musicians as well, it should be pointed out. And these songs are built very well, the arrangements are quite packed, and it does somehow still give them room to breathe and kind of show off in that regard, even though I don't think it's a very showy album. In that, like, It's a lot less showy than I anticipated it would be. I mean, I must confess, I wasn't relishing this album. I wasn't like, oh man, I can't fucking wait for the Wyvern Lingo album. Um, I've been a little bit of a sceptic when it comes to the whole Wyvern Lingo thing, and I don't necessarily know if that's melted away at me. But I do think that this is a very strong debut album. And as debut albums go, I mean, like, you're always kind of, like, going to anticipate the odd bump in the road. And I don't think this album ever gets fully derailed or anything. I was more into the storytelling aspect of things, though. They lost me when they lost me. Like, when they actually genuine, the narrative was kind of dipped and it became just a bit kind of, like, almost showcasey to a degree. And I know I'm contradicting myself because I said this isn't a showy album, but, like... When they when they got their hooks in and they did that early doors, I really was on board and... I would agree with Craig that it kind of picks back up towards the end, but yeah, I don't know. I'm mean, like, like it's kind of. I think it's a compelling album in as much as it's it's very very 2018. Like it like it's exactly what it needs to be. Yeah, and it's it's got a serious confidence about it as well. It does, and I think like the elements are all there. Um, and as Colm says, maybe not kind of always you know in sync. Um, but it's kind of yeah it's an album of moments and when they hit it they really do like the you, the potential is there for you know years to come they could be churning out some great stuff that's um, the thing that so really strikes me here that yeah. you know like to use a kind of sporting analogy of like you know their ceiling like just yeah. how high they could get like I'm not won over by this album I, I think it's good but I don't think it's great however I think that they have albums in them that are far better than I could ever have anticipated from them. Sure. Yeah, no, I think so. And I think they've done a good job of moving away from kind of the folkier stuff and the rockier stuff that they were doing, um, but retaining the best elements of that. Like, they're doing really nice kind of smoldering R&B things, but retaining those guitar licks really well. I think vocally, the whole thing holds up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, they could they could do really anything they want from here. Um there's enough to go on to think that yeah this this is the real deal yeah I mean like I love you say these one of those tracks where like the more you hear about it the less you almost want to hear it because it's one of the, even themselves they're interviewed by Hot Press they're on the cover there two weeks ago and they were speaking about the whole concept of that song which as everyone probably knows by now is about appreciating and trying to channel and encourage and express the feminine qualities in a masculine male 
And I think Quiva Barry from Wyvern Lingo brought up Blind Boy's podcast, or not even the podcast, but Blind Boy when he was on the Late Late Show. And she was kind of like, oh yeah, he was talking about how men need feminism. And then she was saying, I can't remember the exact quote, but... And I'm like, well, that's endemic of the problem with fucking Blind Boy, isn't it? That everyone just thinks he's this new guru. He's a drinking man's philosopher, like. I'm so sick of it, mate. I've had enough. <laughs> I've just had enough of it. Take I've had the bag of off. Everyone. It's over. Take the fucking bag off, mate. Do the Batman thing. Show us who you are, Harvey. And it's like, I just feel like everyone, the more people recommend that podcast to me, the more I'm like, I just, I, I like, I can't. It's the most. All right, let's not start thing. podcast um, wars now, Dave. No, all I'm saying is someone had to say it, right? No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm joking. Uh, but I'm not a fan. And as regards I Love You, Sadie, I think it is a really excellent song. I think it's very layered. And like that's kind of the word I use earlier on. Like, these songs have layers, these songs have stories, these songs have real people and real issues. And I like that they're not afraid to tackle those things. As Craig says, you get the sense that they could do anything that they want to do. And I very much believe that this is the perfect first step for them because it also... I think it's very aware of the audience that is growing around them. They're almost a cult-like act in a way. Yeah, a bit of I that. think that they their fans are seriously on board with them, and there's a communal nature to this album as well. I think, and for someone like myself, uh, who was kind of on the outside of that, I've definitely been brought in a little bit with that, and that's why for me it's a seven out of ten. For me, it's a six out of ten. But I'll tell you something. With the demonstration of what they can do, I would not be surprised if there are producers queuing around the block to get their hands on them because you know get this right and yeah we could have something really special on our hands yeah i'd probably go 6.5 um there are maybe you know three or four tracks there that just do nothing for me really but when as i said when they kind of they're on the money it's it's some really outstanding stuff and like i something like i love you sadie i think is so well executed in terms of like the depth it has the subject matter whereas for me and i know you guys are you know really have a lot of time for out of my hands it just felt slightly on the nose for me and a bit obvious um and not that large i love you sadie was it just had that kind of level of distance um that made it work really well for me but yeah a 6.5 overall um very very promising now Cool. The producer and writer aspect will be very interesting to see in the future because in that same Hopper's interview, they did note that the two different producers that they worked with, they loved it. They thought that it was a great team effort and they would work with them again in a heartbeat. So if they do get swayed by bigger names or more kind of whatever, that in itself will be very interesting to see. But yeah, a very promising start. And now, for the songs of the week. Guys, over Skype no less, <laughs> give me a number. That was inevitable, wasn't it? <laughs> that, that was, was like a weird yes. standoff. <laughs> well, we'll go with Craig's pregnant pause, pregnant with emotion, and we'll take a band, or an act rather, who uh, deal in evocative emotion and their grand return. You might not get the full extent of this without seeing the video, but it's The Blaze. They're back. The song is called Heaven, and it sounds like this. I'm 
Blaze, who featured in No Encore's Top 20 Songs of 2017. I, out of the three of us, was perhaps the most taken with the song Territory, which I still think is an absolute masterpiece, coupled with an incredible video, which still gives me goosebumps to this day. I'd argue it was the best film of last year, but that's a different (laughs) podcast altogether, isn't it, guys? So, they're back. The song is called Heaven. They've now built up this thing. And they built up this thing to the point where I've seen an immediate backlash against this song. Uh, People are kind of going, nah, it's not as good, it's not as evocative, they've blown it, they fucked it. So as two guys who were kind of on the fence anyway, I'm going to take a guess here and suggest that you're not mad on this one. You know, I actually quite enjoyed this. Me too. I mean, I think it's, I think part of the reason for the backlash is that what we're getting here is a band that are very much establishing something of a signature sound. It's not the same as Territory by any means. Um, I, I don't think it's as good as Territory. I don't think it's as vital, if, if that's the best way of putting it. But it's still very enjoyable. But, you know, what, I guess because they landed out of nowhere people are still very unfamiliar with who they are and what they're about i think there's this expectation that you know we're going to have minds blown at every turn as a second single goes this is extremely strong and what's more i I think that singles three four uh, and five if they follow this you know we're going to be in a pretty good place i think well, I must, unfortunately, I, I, I must correct you before the listeners do. This technically is not the second single, because the, you had a song called Virile that was out before Territory. Yeah, then Territory right. came out. Then an EP came out with, like, six songs on it. So I guess this is probably, like, the third or the fourth at this stage. But, you know, I mean, like, it doesn't it doesn't undercut your overall point. This is still the nascent time for this band, or this act, rather. To the point where, the reason I'm even correcting myself there when I'm saying band or act is, we still don't even know who the fuck they really yeah. are. <laughs> like, Which is always fun. <laughs> For a bit, and then comes <laughs> Jay Paul. Over <laughs> um, the weekend, yeah. No, I, do you know what? I, I, I do actually like this. Um, it's it's going back to the same well again, of course, uh, to a certain extent. But I think um, they're tapping into something kind of quite special at the moment. So it's just like, do you know what? Enjoy, enjoy it while they're putting out this kind of stuff, and before it becomes too tiresome or it's oversaturated or. I mean, that kind of take on... It's essentially house music that they're doing, but it's it's really kind of... I don't know, encapsulating the kind of communal... Euphoric, but also really mournful and, you know, slightly bittersweet um, thing that's in the best of dance music. And it almost reminds me of... (sighs) when Moby crossed over with Play and he found that thing of just like using old blues samples and just combining a kind of techno or house or whatever and he, he just hit a sound that really connected with people. And there's, you know, I'm not saying sonically it's like that, but there is that feeling that they're doing something that has something very visceral and universal to it. Well, I think there's very definitely as well a, a an influence yeah. of like North African music in this. Yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, and again, yeah, you could say, I mean, I, I like the video, but is it becoming, is it now just becoming a thing where they're going to do a mind blowing video? I don't know. At the moment, I'm very much enjoying the ride. So I'm just trying to, you know, go with that. And just hoping that they don't go J yeah, Paul and sure. pop up in a hard hat in five years time. <laughs> <laughs> it is very much a thing. Yes. Uh, that's the kind of the weird thing about building a cult so early. You have to serve it. You've got masters to serve now and voices that are going to be crying out for you to be perfect at every turn. The blaze is still fragmented pieces. Well, not quite fragmented, quite whole pieces, I suppose, of a larger thing. We don't quite know what that thing is yet. I mean, if they were to pop up at Forbidden Fruit this year, 
it'd be a case of like, well, what's it going to be like? Because I, I, I think it's two guys, and I'm pretty sure they DJ opposite each other, Daft Punk style, with a backdrop of uh, visuals, presumably taken from the videos. So it's still building, and it's still building in that kind of organic way, where there was a genuine level of excitement. When this dropped, I was like, oh my god, Like I, was like, I have to stop everything I'm doing right now, and put my headphones on, and just tune into this. It's going to be amazing. So yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, and ears on, for sure. I'm, I'm on board, and I hope to see them live at some point. Can I have a number, please? I want Colin number Reagan. one. Fantastic! It's Janelle Monet, The Grand Return. She's got two tracks out. This one is called Make Me Feel. It's like I'm powerful with a little bit of tender An emotional sexual bender Mess me up, yeah, but no one does it better There's nothing better That's just the way you make me feel that's just the way you make me feel Uh-huh, so, so, so fucking real Uh-huh, that's just the way you make me feel That's the return of Janelle Monet, along with another track called Django Jane. There's an album in the works, her third one, I believe. And someone who's on it, which makes a lot of sense, especially when you hear this song, is Prince. Apparently Prince was on the recordings, and they were very, very close. She gave a little interview recently, and she said that she misses him dearly, but he's still very much with her. Mm-hmm. And I think she actually said that, you know, before he passed on to another frequency, which is an amazing way of putting <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I love that, yeah. It's really, really beautiful and effortlessly cool as she seems to continue to be. Uh, I think the song is so much fun. I love it. The other one sounds kind of like... This sounds like her doing Prince. The other one sounds like her doing Kendrick. And yet, both of them also sound like her being her and just adding this extra element to an already very impressive and interesting career. I mean, look, make me feel... It's Kiss, right? I yeah, mean, I mean, it is. Now, you can yeah. go two ways on that. Either it's a song that we've already heard and it's not original and therefore it's not impressive, or it's an absolute banger that bears a very close resemblance to a legit all-timer. And I'm not too precious to say that, yeah, if you make a song that sounds like Kiss, I'm all in. Yeah, I have to go with it. It's a total banger. Um, it's just you know she has the confidence she's got the personality it's such a fun song and it was kind of to be honest I didn't know the background to the song so it was a big relief um, when the kind of news came out that it was like actually Prince being involved and it was like he had you know he kind of gave her this synth line or whatever now I do think actually her vocal and the kind of rhythm thing work just as well or would work with kind of other backing with you know the synth and those kind of little guitar fills are so 80s prints that it does take you out of it slightly I think um, but I think the song enough song is like strong enough to stand up on its own yeah definitely and I mean when contrasted with the other one as well I can't quite tell exactly what jigsaw she's putting together here yet yeah but all of a sudden this feels like it could be one of the most essential listens of 2018 and I really hope it does stand up to it but I've seen no reason to doubt her that's um, it I think she's that- had this potential for a long time and as I saw somebody point out during the week she's broken what was long held to be a sort of a jinx in American music of like if you support Prince it's career suicide because you oh, yeah. come out looking so badly that there's no way back she did it and frankly, looks to be going strength to strength. 
Yeah, I mean, you use the word potential. Uh, she's definitely already acquired a mass oh, following yeah. and has this kind of identity that few others have. So I wonder if this will be the album to make her a megastar. Like, like, can she go that extra level? Like, will the public follow suit? I mean, I don't know. I haven't really been keeping up with like how these tracks have gone down. I just know that in my own little bubble, I've very much been like, well, these are fucking incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, promising. Very, very promising once again. Craig Fitzpatrick, can I have a number, please? Number two, please, David. All right, another person who put out two tracks and also maybe has a a reputation to either uphold or perhaps even salvage is The Return of Twin Shadow. This song is called Saturdays. That's Saturdays featuring my favourite, Haim. <laughs> now, let's talk about it. So, he put out two songs as well, and they're also different, very similar to the Janelle Monet thing. He put out a song called Little Woman, which sounds very cinematic in the from the point of view of like it sounds like a score. It sounds like it should be on like track four or five on something yeah. that is like kind of detailing something more kind of grander. Like it reminded me of the High Rise soundtrack by Clint Mansell of all things. Yeah, it, it reminded me of Marconi's kind of frantic soundtrack as well. It has lots of kind of soundtrack touchstones there, yeah. And it's funny when you mention that it could be on yeah. the soundtrack because there's a moment in in the track where you're just like, have we changed scenes here? <laughs> yeah, it does switch up a bit. And it's the more interesting tune, I think. Uh, it shows a bit more depth to George Lewis Jr. Whereas this one, Saturdays, is... I mean, he's known for being a bit pastiche and this is just your 80s radio pop hit, isn't it? Yeah, this is from an unmade John Hughes movie. And 100%. it's probably only like the fifth or sixth best song on that soundtrack. It basically- <laughs> okay, well, hang on. I, I feel the need to defend my, my corner here because why did I pick this song instead of the other one that is, admittedly, yes, better? The reason I picked this one, guys, is because I felt it was time that I gave Haim a bit of a good report on the podcast, okay? Because <laughs> this is the best use of them. They're great on this song. They fucking... I don't necessarily agree with Pitchfork's contention that they saved the song. They elevate it for sure. And as a texture, they sound incredible. They they, they bring a, a certain level of heart and differing. And they're also... This is very much a return to favour because George Lewis has worked with them before. He appeared on their last album and he appeared on Days Are Gone as well, yeah. I believe. So it's a tag team effort, even though they're used quite sparingly. And I don't want to reduce Heim to you know an object or a tool that should be used in a song, but as a accompanying feature, this is fucking golden. Well, I mean, yeah, it's derivative as all hell, but I really enjoy I mean, it. Dave, I just you felt say like they, they brought weren't... a level of heart. I think you'll find they brought a lot of heart, like so much heart, like they are heart, and <laughs> it makes perfect sense that they're going to fit so seamlessly into what is just a hugely 80s sound. And ultimately, I think this song hinges on whether you love either the 80s or Heim, because, frankly, it is so definitive in in its commitment to to that sort of throwback sound that, you know, if you're not sold, then I don't think there's any redeeming features. 
See, I feel, I feel like they could have been integrated more into the song. When they arrive, it's kind of almost like, it feels like, okay, this song really needs to, you know, go somewhere else now. Um, Heim, just sort it out. <laughs> Whereas, like, it's almost like they're, it's two separate acts doing different interpretations of the same song, just kind of mashed together awkwardly, uh, not unlike this podcast. Um, but yeah, no, I think... <laughs> I think it totally... Like, I think as a song, it's like... Initially, I was like, yeah, this is lightweight. It is pastiche But listen, Twin Shadow is pastiche in the best possible way. Like, I enjoy picking out... Oh, here's exactly that Bruce Springsteen song he's reinventing. Because it's like he's very, very good at it. Yeah. And Time are good at that kind of era as well. So, yeah, it was like... The more I listened to it, the more it kind of grew on me. Um, it could be a kind of... Uh, maybe a minor hit. I don't know. Um, the album's yeah, going to be interesting it. to listen out for as well. It's it's called Kyer. It's out on April 27th. And yeah. again, just like Janelle Monet, when you have these two singles standing side by side, you kind of think, right, this could go a lot of very different directions. Well, it's interesting. Also... Yeah, I like Craig saying it might be a minor hit, like your fucking F. Murray Abraham <laughs> and Inside Lewin Davis. I don't see a lot of money here, George. <laughs> you know, you can see it maybe developing a bit of a following. Like I said, it, it does grow on you, but it's you know because it's interesting. The last Twin Shadow album, uh, Eclipse. I mean, all the talk around it before its release was, do you know what, this is his moment. And he's like, he's a very ambitious dude. All his interviews are him talking about he hates the indie mindset of just like trying to be a critical darling. He wants to be the biggest star on the planet. And Eclipse was him making a kind of a big production push for that. And when the album came out, it was just... Uh, the quality wasn't there compared to the first two records it sounded kind of big and empty and hollow the tunes weren't there on the evidence of these two songs um, I'm heartened very much um, because it seems like he's kind of clawing back the stuff that made him special Um, so we'll see yeah I fully agree with all of that there are two numbers left in the number game that we play Craig give us one four please David This was your choice. This is Unknown Mortal Orchestra, who have just been added to the Forbidden Fruit Bill for this summer. The song, second single, I believe, is called Not In Love, We're Just High. And we throw it straight to Craig Fitzpatrick, who nominated this song in what was a very busy week for the Songs of the Week. At one point we had over ten, and yet this one made the top five. Craig, should have. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's an intriguing, um, intriguing kind of taster of what's to come. I, I'm like I'm an unknown mortal orchestra fan. Um, I interviewed Ruben Nielsen, who's essentially the band. Um, yeah, and I think they're on their their second record, and he's kind of multi instrumental, you know, um, production wizard, uh, New Zealand guy, supremely talented. Um, like a lot of his kind of early stuff was hit and miss. 
Um, but Multi Love, his last album, I thought was really kind of slept on. Just a splendid, splendid record. There was a couple of um, tracks on it in particular that were highlights of the year um, when it came out. The title track in particular, Can't, so- um, can't Keep Checking My Phone as well. Um, they were just some of the best pop songs that came out. And I think... I mean, this isn't quite as immediate, and he's definitely, I think, being, you know, he's willfully kind of obscuring some of the um, popular elements here um, with the production, um, which makes it kind of a veiled listen. Um, Not unlike kind of, it's not chopped up in the same way as James Blake's more recent track, but there is that thing of him kind of messing with the form a bit. But I think that's good. I I like that. Um, It's it's interesting. It's kind of, it's, it's... it's interesting to see where he goes with this um, because Multi Love was such a great record. There's a lot of jump off points. Not to sound like I've just got it in my head, so I have to make the comparison, but I was getting Prince vibes off this as well. Yeah. I think I feel like I'm getting Prince vibes everywhere now, though. It's just like yeah, there's, there's a little Prince, bit of that, and that's why I kind of yeah. prefaced it by saying, like, yeah, no, it's not just me on a Prince binge or something. But I, I think it's because the verses in particular have the thing of, like, it's a vocal melody first. And lyrical delivery is kind of, you know, if it's even second, might be third or fourth, that, you know, it's, it's something like Strange Relationship or something like kind of late 80s Prince and stuff like that. I liked it. As you said, it's not massively insistent, but it's really, it insinuates, as it were. And yeah. I, I, I think it builds really nicely. And uh, actually announced this week as well, they are going to be playing Forbidden Fruit, which is really starting to take shape. It really is, yeah. I'm looking forward to that festival quite a bit. My festival hiatus will officially be shattered on oh. the uh, the June bank holiday weekend. I'm, I think we're all deathing going to go, yeah. aren't we, at yeah. this stage? You're a very principled man. I am. Uh, Vin Staples is there, and the War on Drugs, and lots of others, so I'm like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. And also, it's ten minutes from my gaff, so i got to do it. <laughs> Good call. So, anyway, Good call. let's get back. Let's um, um, we'll, we'll go and check it and see how this looks in the tent, presumably. Uh, this is, as you guys kind of say there, explicit repurposing of his voice as an instrument. Yeah. As its own very much instrument and kind of kind of carry the tune, though. That's the thing. But then again, this is all disparate parts as well. And I like the urgency that kind of emerges towards the end. Uh, you may have mentioned James Blake there, or am I just imagining that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that kind of what he's doing with the manipulating the vocals. I mean, it's not the exact same thing, but it's definitely he's trying stuff. Yeah, I mean, I liked it quite a bit, but I, there's also the sense that it's pushing you away. Yeah. And at times, I do wonder if you're like, hey, you know, he's not really pushing you away. He wants you to push him back and break down. But I don't know, there's a degree of like, oof, I mean, is this a bit, is this a bit too kind of too- just isolated in its own kind of meanderings? I mean, I like it for sure, but at the same time, you got to commit to it. And sometimes you just can't. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Life gets in the way, guys. That's what I'm saying. Life finds it's a way. It's not going to give it to you for free, that's for sure. Like, it is one that requires maybe a little bit of work, as it were. But, yeah, I, I think it's worth it. Yeah, there is. A, I think it's worth it, too. There is a sense that possibly at times he's a little too clever for his own good. And I think that feeds into his ability as a producer. He gets probably bored with doing the kind of more straightforward stuff that might see him have more mainstream appeal. So he ends up just kind of, I don't know, not sabotaging his own work, but taking it in directions that maybe not everyone will follow him down. Yeah, album coming out about a month from now. It's called Sex and Food. Two things. That's a really bad, bad title. Two, great, th- is it? two, two things you need to get through a snowstorm, right, lads? Well, <laughs> well, his last, <laughs> right. oh. his last album, Multi Love, was about him 
falling in love with a woman that wasn't his wife and his wife knowing about it and him being in love with both of them and then the wife being also in love with this other woman and this whole bizarre love triangle thing it was very complex was and he wrote about it very well um so was it Janelle Monet? <laughs> no, but I wish it was. And she had been no, over. because I could totally see her being like, "Oh, fine, if it's Janelle Monet, like, uh, fair enough." <laughs> but like, it's lyrically, like yeah. some woman down the fucking street. <laughs> but lyrically, it looks like he actually pulled it off really well. Where it didn't seem like this really tawdry thing of just being like a bunch of hippies, kind of like free love, man. Um, but yeah, so now, he's just got, now he's just like doing songs about sex and food. So does that make him the anti-Michael and um, uh, like Angel Alcos or whatever his name is from Passion Pit? Who you know, Passion Pit exists because he forgot Valentine's Day or his girlfriend's birthday that time. I think it does. So he made her he made her a band. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, speaking of bands, there's one left. It's editors in 2018. What do they sound like? Well, I'm glad you asked, listener. They sound like this. on the show we gave Muse a right kicking and I kind of feel like if Muse didn't think the guitar was dead this is what they'd be doing if they decided to streamline it a bit more but for editors of course that means not streamlining at all and really fucking swinging for the fences this is the second single off a forthcoming album and I don't know guys I'm not I'm not disliking this oh yeah I know I was the Muse thing is what immediately came to mind when that riff kicks in I was like this is what Muse should be doing if they were still somewhat good um, yeah, yes. like it's it's you know they're trying stuff. I think since maybe their third album, they've been like wildly veering back and forth between. Oh, are we a kind of standard rock band, or oh, we kind of like doing you know edgy electronica as well? And they haven't really hit either particularly well. I don't think this sounds a bit more like it. It sounds there's you know flex of maybe Depeche Mode to it. There's you know. Um, drum machine stuff brushing up against guitars the deadpan aspect of some of the vocals is reminds me of like U2's Numb or something and Tom Smith is not doing his solemn deep intonation voice he's actually kind of fleet of foot on it uh, I thought it was pulled off quite well yeah I am stunned that you guys are positive about this really? track. <laughs> this song reminds me of something that you'd get from a game show in the UK where you put one person in an isolation booth, keep the other person in the studio floor and have them both try to write a chorus and a verse of the same song. This is... Like, like it is such a bizarre clash between this, like, massively hyped up... And, yeah, Muse is the right comparison to use. Th- this huge sort of hooky chorus. And these really earnest verses, which were written after Tom Smith travelled with Oxfam to visit refugees in Greece. And I think it's just that juxtaposition that every single time it goes from one to the other, I got whiplash. So what you're saying is, it sounds like a podcast desperately trying to salvage itself in inclement weather <laughs> via the method of cross-internet communication technology. Listen, don't put ourselves down like that, man. 
This is the equivalent of if I started hosting a podcast on, like, Scandinavian politics while you guys tried to discuss music. That's the sort of... Hey, I wouldn't rule that out. I want us to do that. I'm always keeping my future career plans open, like... Well, as you should. I thought this was perfectly fine and entertaining. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Like, fair play to them. They're, you know, sticking with it and... As you say, this that, you does know. not sound like this does not sound like someone who the saddest thing he ever saw was smokers outside the hospital door. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this <laughs> <seems> like <laughs> someone <laughs> who has got a new lease on life, and he's out there and he's doing his thing and he's bringing it to the masses, and maybe he can fill that mu-shaped hole that we know is out there. And he's helping the Oxfam, are, and yet Colm is like all over him. Colm's not having it, mate. Not having it. Yeah. Hey, hanging out with refugees. Listen, it's not the sentiment behind it. It's similar to the trap that you two fell into with some of their uh, most recent album. Like, by all means, write about it, but understand that, you know, you have to put certain pieces in place for that sort of lyrical substance and that sort of earnest delivery to actually fit. This feels like doing a dance remix of Going Home or something. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm intrigued. Fair enough. Okay. Well, that does it for the songs of the week, but it doesn't quite do it for the podcast yet, guys. Because I've got a bit of a, I've got a bit of a surprise for you. Oh. Though. So, uh, State Magazine, uh, which I used to write for and still do on occasion, uh, are celebrating their tenth year in the game this year. So, congratulations to them. And as a result, they have compiled the top ten albums between two thousand and eight and twenty eighteen. <sighs> So, I'm going to read out the top ten. Okay. Okay. And then you're going to tell me what you, whether you think or not these should be in the top ten. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm liking your surprise. Yes. At number ten, Arcade Fire and the Suburbs. No fucking hell. No. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> number nine, Recent Gano Family and Let the Dead Bury the Dead. Uh, I mean, I like the album, but no. It's yeah, not but come top on. ten on the planet in the past ten years. Number eight, Kendrick Lamar and To Pimp a Butterfly. Yeah, I'm fine with that. More of a damn fan myself. Number seven, Girl Band, Holding Hands with Jamie. Do I, I need love that to... album, but really? Cullum? Do I need to comment, do I? <laughs> They're lovely lads <laughs> and I get on great with them. People might have forgotten your stance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At number six, Jape and Ritual. Oh. Yeah, like it's a. I, I like that album, but we're talking about all of the albums made anywhere on the planet <laughs> or the universe. Yeah. yeah, yes, we are. Okay, yeah, not not just the planet, Craig, the universe. Um, yeah, <laughs> again, I love I love the album. It's not ten, top ten in the past ten years. Number five, my bloody Valentine and MBV. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. Kevin Shields no. wouldn't say that was there. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, David Bowie and Blackstar. That's a great oh. album, but... Yeah, no, no. Top ten of that year. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> I love how all of them have been rejected so far. <laughs> Cementing our legacy as the strictest podcast in the game. Number three, <laughs> Villagers and Becoming a Jackal. Uh. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> it's a great album. Yeah. It is a great album, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. And number two, I think, Craig, I think you're back on board here. Kanye West and My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. I mean, it should be at number one. <laughs> 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 so, 
they've messed it up yet again. They have one job. <laughs> okay, I'm okay with that being like top. Yeah, yeah. Like I probably have a top twenty-five. So yeah, I'm fine with that being what? top ten. Top twenty-five. All right, go on it's for another day, lads. Yeah. Some decorum. We're almost through this Skype disaster. So okay, <laughs> at number one, do you want to have a guess? The last ten years, you're never going to guess. <laughs> D'Angelo. I tell you what, I'll read the snippet. Will yeah. I? Yeah. In short, this is a sensational debut. It's an album that leaves you with a moral dilemma halfway through. Listen to the rest, or pause it for a few minutes so you can suggest, no, tell your friends to get downtown and buy it before the shops close. It's a potential soundtrack to a hundred movies, a note-perfect demonstration for any recording artist and how guitars oh should be used, and an album it that you skip social events to listen to the end of. It's not Osher. <laughs> what? <Jesus Christ. laughs> It's not Hozier. It's the self-titled debut album from And So I Watch You From Afar. Oh. Okay. I I mean, it's a great album. It is a great album. Really? How many people (laughs) voted on this? I don't know. I didn't. So, uh, (laughs) like, I I forgot to. That's why they got it all wrong. There you go. It would have been different had I been here. It was (laughs) a bizarre list. So what can you do? It's quite a bizarre list. And thus ends the most bizarre episode, perhaps, of No Encore. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it sounds great. Let us know. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it'll actually sound even more disconcerting than like our kind of broken, streamy Skype thing, because <laughs> it'll kind of, hopefully, when it's all put together, sound like we're maybe in the same room, but not quite. I think it's going to be very Uncanny Valley, but that also might make it amazing. And it should be said, by the way, that if you are listening and if it has sounded in any way decent, that is mostly down to the hard work of Eve. So thank you so much for that. Oh, yeah. She's our saviour, as per Thanks, usual. Eve. Yeah, if yeah. you make this one work, well then, Jesus Christ. She's <laughs> a, yeah, I mean, this you, is one you for should the be in the state's <laughs> top ten albums list if you can make this sound tolerable. <laughs> yeah, officially one of the greatest producers of all time, if she can pull this off. So, have you guys been listening to anything else this week? Yeah, um, I was checking out um, Yola Tango's new song uh, for you too. Um, they're back, guys. Yola Tango, <laughs> Hoboken's <laughs> finest. Um, I, I, I was going to say New Jersey's finest, but I think there might be some slightly bigger acts. <laughs> yeah, they're not booked in for Croker or anything, but I like them. Um, Fucking Dillinger Escape Plan, mate. Yeah, in New Jersey. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but Yola Tango, I mean, they're kind of, you know, critical darlings. The de- very definition of a cult act, but they're still going a good few decades in. And, you know, Love Lorne, kind of driving, squ- quietly driving anthem for you too, as we're checking out. And if you don't know Yola Tango, there's a Prisoners of Love compilation that kind of pieces together the first 20 years of their career. And they're worth checking out because they're brilliant. I really thought you were going to say, and if you don't know, now you know. Now you know. Now you know. I was like, what a, what a sign-off. Call him what you've listened to. The new Public Access TV band uh, album came out just the other day. Um, it, it's not reinventing the wheel by any means. In fact, it's exactly what you'd expect from them, I felt. But, yeah, quite enjoyable. And that is pretty much the sum total of brand new releases that I was checking out this week fair enough I've been listening to the Black Panther soundtrack again and I've been listening to the Choice Prize albums yet again of course 
while also dipping back into wild beasts. I'm still not over uh, it, guys. Never be over it. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I was also listening to quite a bit of everything, everything, looking forward to the gig, which was meant to be tonight. And instead, yeah, here yeah. I am in my living room talking at a computer screen. This has been better than surely, guys, no? <laughs> they're, currently, uh, they're currently pointing it up in the bison bar. Yeah. Oh, speak. really? Yeah. Uh, Craig and I were talking off mic, by the way, about how, like, when they put up on Twitter, because they started the day by saying, this show is definitely going ahead, don't worry about I it. I think they said, I then, think they even said, they like, snow won't stop the show, which I liked. Oh, yeah, they did, yeah, yeah. They did, and then they put up a, a tweet, uh, complete with a glum photograph of themselves in the Olympia Theatre, saying, really sorry, but tonight's show is cancelled, we sound checked, but all public transport is suspended, making the impossible, too many fans will be left stranded, and many already are. Stay tuned to us for updates. We are gutted. And in the replies, like, you get the likes of any consolation for those of us who travelled all the way here? An intimate wee gig, maybe? And then someone else being like, how can a band who are actually in the venue cancel a gig? <laughs> Everyone who was going to make it is already within a few hundred metres of the venue, surely. Uh, it shits all over the people who actually made the effort and now have to pay for hotels and transport for no reason. Shameful. Oh, God. Absolute chancers. It's a and real, you're damned good. if you do, damned if you don't situation, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. What about a sneaky acoustic set? They literally can't do it, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well, I suppose if you Jesus. bring an acoustic down to the bison, you might have a shot. Mm. <laughs> I, I think they just went for a punt, in fairness. <laughs> That's why you need to <laughs> bring the guitar because they're probably quite gutted about the situation but hey look they'll be back yeah. they'll be back yeah incidentally though sorry uh, while we're on the subject I've also been listening as I know Cullen was to their new EP which dropped yeah. this week uh, it's called it, it's called A Deeper Sea and it contains a couple of new tracks it contains a rework remix off one of the ones off the last album and a Neil Young cover recorded in BBC Studios in London uh, it's a very interesting EP the two tracks in particular uh, are very interesting the Mariana Trench and Breadwinner dealing with rather heavy and interesting themes while also retaining that signature everything everything chaos that they bring to the dance so well worth checking out as well so on that note guys thanks so much for giving me your time this evening it's been amazing we should do this more often (laughs) Cullum how's that bottle of uh, how's that bottle of red going down Uh, it's getting there mate (laughs) actually also we should point out that we're like we're doing Skype audio only we're not all looking at each other so um, you guys are fully dressed right thank god yeah I showed Cullum my pyjamas earlier oh great yeah, I put on a nice top just in case like we were going video earlier on. It was like you know when people do like job interviews over Skype and they're like, I'm not wearing any trousers. I am wearing trousers, but it's Dude, I'm, not I'm, fancy I'm trousers. the opposite. I'm head to toe in wool. Uh, it's one. It, it, this snow blast is one of the times where dating in Norwegian has really paid off. Dating in Norwegian, you're engaged, engaged sir. Right? Sure like a commitment, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Half seeing, as some people would say. Well, myself and my uh, very single animal pyjamas, animal from the Muppet pyjamas, are going to bid you guys adieu now. So, thanks very much. Cheers, Good night, Dave. Sleep tight. So, yeah, that was the show. And uh, to play us out this week, exit music from Paddy Hanna, whose debut album, Frankly, I Mutate, is out now. Well, you know, thanks for listening to the podcast first. Go and check out the album. It's very, very good. He's a fabulously interesting individual, as you well know. The song that we're going to play from the album is called Toulouse the Kisser. My name is David William Hanrady. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And this is Paddy Hanna with Toulouse the Kisser. Check out his album. Bye-bye.
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.